0: You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm very, very pleased to have a conversation that I feel like is long overdue, and not long overdue just in terms of 2020, but long overdue in terms of this country and where we are and the conversations that need to be had. I'm gonna to speak to you from a place of um, my where I come from personally, and then I'm gonna introduce the guests that I have today. And I just wanna say that there's a, we don't understand what we don't understand. We don't know what we don't know. And our ability to listen and learn and to sit at the feet of people who can teach us is incredibly valuable. And for me, it took many, many years of connecting with people that weren't like me, people that were different, not just in race, not just in ethnicity, not just in, I'm talking about across the boards and diversity, especially coming from where I came from and with religion to talk to people that had different ideas that were that 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 weren't like mine. But today I want to I want to have more of a conversation because the more I got to know people that weren't just like me, the more I had to close my mouth and open my ears and listen to what was going on. And it's very easy in a homogenous environment to not acknowledge what's going on elsewhere. So with that being said, want to have a conversation today. This is an important and a valuable conversation about race and diversity and inclusion. We're going to talk about it in general, but specifically I want to talk about the fitness industry and what that looks like here. So today I have a guest. Her name is Katrina Pilkington, and she has been on numerous diversity roundtables and panels. Um, She's doing a session about diversity in the fitness industry uh, at Idea World and at the Optima Conference. Her Instagram shows that she does so much more than just the things that I said, but she is with us today. So Katrina, tell us about yourself, your background, what you bring to this conversation, uh, and, and, and share your experience and your wealth of knowledge with us. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having
1: me, Rick. Good morning, everybody, or hello from wherever you are, whatever time it is. Um, my name is Katrina Pilkington, and as Rick said, I have been very vocal about my past in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice and in my corporate life and bring it into my fitness life now. Um, but just to give a little bit of background about myself, I like to consider myself an imperfect inclusivity guide because of my upbringing. So I am the product of a first-generation Chinese immigrant mother and a fourth generation enslaved ancestry father. So I come from a bit of a perspective where I'm not necessarily on one side or the other. I'm smack dab in the middle where I've experienced being excluded on all sides to the point where I didn't fit in. So my goal as a professional, as a leader to my family and otherwise, is to teach people about being inclusive so that people like myself don't always feel like they have to fit in. We should just be to your point, allowing others who are part of our out-group and our in-group so we can see perspectives in a more well-rounded way.
0: Let me ask a question about that then, the perspectives. What are some of the perspectives that, that you've seen, that you've experienced, that, that you're talking about, and, and what does that mean to you, and how can that kind of invite others into this conversation and feel more comfortable where they are?
1: Sure. So I'm sure everybody is well aware of the current of our country and our world where racism is at the forefront. And I am one who's hopeful in that, because in my entire life, I have never seen this much involvement from not just black folks. I say black and brown folks. When I say the word folks, I mean everybody from every gender, everything, Um, but also white and non-black folks joining in on the conversation and whether protesting in person or protesting online, using our platforms to speak truth and teach each other. Because I feel like growing up as a kid in the 80s, I faced a lot of exclusion from misunderstanding and people not knowing. I was walking around with my Chinese mother and thinking it was okay to ask questions like, is that your mom? Is that your babysitter? Or racial slurs being said to me in front of my family. Like, it's, it's really, really widespread as far as what I could talk about with that. But I feel like Even on the opposite side, there was misunderstanding from black folks. There was misunderstanding from some of my family members of who I was and what I was about. And what I've come to find out is that doesn't matter. I'm I'm Katrina, I'm a a human and I love everyone. And I love, like you said, I love learning about other people's diverse backgrounds because it makes me more well-rounded. So if we all can put in that work, that self work to attack biases, our stereotypes head on, we can be more loving and inclusive of fellow humans that we're
0: here to serve. Yeah, I I have to say that my travels have allowed me to see things in such a different way and to be more inclusive with different cultures and different peoples around the world and the opportunity to, um, to go to the Middle East, to go to Asia, to go to Africa. I've been to all of these places. I've had the opportunity to meet with people that have been absolute blessings in my life. And I'm gonna tell you something, Katrina. It didn't matter to me or to them or anybody around us. Like, it was awesome. Getting yeah. to know people that were not like me was so enjoyable. But here's the other thing, they, they were like me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm gonna say like you've you've heard the 80 20 rule, and I'm gonna say the 80 20 rule. Let's just use that as a flat rate example. 20% may be different, and that could be culture and all the other things, skin color, light, eyes, hair, whatever it is, doesn't matter. 80% of it is exactly the same. Right. It's exactly the same. Right. And right. people love their family. They love their kids. They eat food. They we we're the we're the same people the experiences in life are different. And oftentimes those experiences are made and created, obviously through, through culture, but in this society we see that shift um, with power as well. And so I want to talk a little bit about a little bit about that and specifically about the fitness industry. Yeah. So can you speak to the Need for diversity and inclusion, specifically in the fitness industry. What is happening right now and what can we look forward to?
1: Sure. And I always am going to relate this to my own personal experience. So I know that, you know, part of my story is is that I lost about 50 pounds, which landed me in the fitness industry. But it was very difficult for me to find my in-group. So everybody has an in-group, people who are like you, who think like you, look like you, seem like you, vibe with you you have an out group too? And going back to my point about not fitting in, I didn't find any instructors, any workout videos until I started uh, doing the program that I did to lose my weight of anybody who looked like me. So I didn't feel like I fit in. So I feel like as fitness leaders, we have to stop and think, wow, who am I marketing to? Who am I speaking to? Am I really only speaking to those that are most like me? Because then I'm ostracizing or excluding folks who need my help, who I could be of service to whether it's through nutrition or fitness or wellness in a way that I can give back to my community and make 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 wellness and fitness not a luxury make it accessible make it to be inclusive make it like that fishbowl effect where if somebody walks by your class or a training session do they see themselves standing next to you or do they not feel like that's a circle that they can dive into
0: yeah and that's that's challenging and I'm and, and with that challenge I'm going to throw the challenge out for everybody that's listening right now to you know let's let's just say close your eyes, right? So close your eyes. You're walking into the gym and the place is packed. There are, you know, you can sell 10,000 memberships, but you can only fit like 200 people in with, before the, the fire marshal comes in, right? So you've got people in line. You've got the 200 people in the doors. Treadmills are full. The cardio equipment's full. The mat, the, the gym, the locations, all the, the studios, completely full. Now, open your eyes, and what did they look like? All right, was it a group of diverse individuals? Was it a bunch of muscular men and skinny women with little poom poom shorts on? (laughs) What did you see? And I wanna know that because that when we talk about diversity and inclusion, um, you know, namely we're we're understanding there's an issue right now within our country and an ongoing issue with race, but also within the fitness industry, there is sizeism that's there. And that has been, um, it's really challenging. You, you, if, if I close my eyes and I think about all of the overweight or obese people that I see in the gym, I don't see a lot and I don't see it matching the, uh, the current population.
2: Right.
0: with that being said, also matching the current population, uh, and the demographic that's around you, what does it look like in your gym versus what's around? Now I'm talking about uh, not just who we hire, Katrina, I'm talking about the membership base that is there. So let's have a conversation on those two fronts. Um, we can discuss more about the members yeah. and who we are in the fitness industry market to, but I think we should also have this conversation about us and those listening as fitness professionals and who is on our team and right. how that team seems to change from the bottom of, of the rung when we co- when it comes to hiring to the top of the rung when it comes mm-hmm. to corporate executives?
1: Right. So I'll start with biases, right? So, you know, a lot of us rapidly grow our brains and learn so much and create so many experiences before the age of 18. So in that time, most of us can't remember what happened before we were 18, but you develop <laughs> uh, ideals and preferences of people. And unfortunately, racism is the product of classism and creating classes of folks based on their skin color, based on the level of melanation in their skin. So even for somebody like myself, I didn't understand this. I was born in 1980. I mean, slavery has been around since the 1600s and beyond. So all of those old school trains of thought have come into people's lives. And a lot of fitness professionals might be like, well, I'm not racist, or I don't have biases. And you might not even know you do. So starting from square one to say, I might have stereotypes, I might have biases, and we can Elaborate on how people can discover those, but to understand that maybe some of those deep rooted thoughts and preferences and ideas have played into who you have in your front line, into who you have as your team, into who you hire for marketing, into how you market your business, which now needs to be an area of reformation, an area that needs to be broken down and kind of not completely well. Sometimes maybe completely dissected. Sometimes am just completely. <laughs> I mean, it might need to be restructured completely, but it takes internal reflection to be able to take that step to say maybe I do need to redo everything and rethink everything if I really want to be inclusive.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, I like that. Can you kind of break down some things for us so we've got. Some words here that are interesting. There's bias, there's stereotype, and there's racism. And you know, they, do they all speak to the same thing? Like, what what are these words, and and how do they differentiate?
1: So racism stems from the ideal of slavery, which I can say it started between the 1500s and 1600s, where African Americans or Africans were taken from their land through a trade called the slave trade and brought into this country to work for free. So as these, these Black folks became aware of their situation, because many people, like my great-great-grandfather, where I traced my enslaved routes, realized, hey, this isn't what I think a family should look like, and they realized they were part of a slave family, they started to revolt and want their freedom. And those in power, oppressors, created systems to, I guess you could say, allow the racism to continue in, but in different ways. And there's many movies and documentaries and such that people can go on to learn more about this because it's, it's true and it's, it's real. But that's what's created some of the perspectives that we see in television, the perspectives we see in advertising of there being levels of inferiority or superiority with race. So that's where racism comes from. Um, but biases can just simply be a preference. I have a bias of grapes over cantaloupe. My daughter has a bias of cantaloupe over grapes. You know, we all have biases and that's just our opinions. But some of those biases can create stereotypes, which is a very firm belief of what a class of person or a a marginalized group or a categorization of person is like, or making that a truth in your brain. So if you think about it on that grand scope, like you said, what does your gym look like or what does your, uh, even your virtual space look like? What do your followers look like in it? it You know, if it looks like all the same people, like a lot of people ask me, what do I do? Which we can talk about, but that's what happens is you then start to create these preferences, even unbeknownst to yourself. You have no idea how they happened, but advertising, I mean, even for myself growing up in the 80s, I had all white Barbie dolls, all white cartoons. I didn't have a lot of, like I said, mentorship or idols to look up to. So I was just eating the wrong food being unhealthy and not even having any idea what I was
0: doing until it clicked. Uh, so that, that kind of goes back to, uh, when we talk about the, the Barbie dolls and we talk about the, mm-hmm. these toys that, that you play with, uh, and it goes far beyond that because it goes to who you see on television.
2: Right?
0: Who's present in television? Who's present in politics? What are the voices that you hear? And what are the faces that you see? And this is where it is very, very important for me to make the statement very clear that representation matters. It matters. Because if you flip the switch, and here we are, me as a white person, watching television, and every time I turn it on, it is, uh, it is it's black. It's all black television. Then that all of a sudden I would be like, whoa, 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 where, <laughs> where are people that are like me? And where are the ones that are going to show that there's a, a, a place for me to go to, to aspire to, to want? Right. Uh, and if you're not living something that I can dream about, right. then it makes it harder for me to think that that dream can come true. Now, winds of change are coming, and they have been, but there has been some there have been things that have recently happened that are showing, um, dramatically in very, very dramatic ways what's going on in 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 the world, uh, in our world in general, but how these protests have left the shores of the United States. And then they're happening in countries that we don't even think about them and having race problems or anything like that. And, and the winds are changing. Um, what's happening now that's causing the winds to change? And then what has happened? Suddenly, it seems that so many white people are getting on board with this movement. Mm -hmm. I get this question a
1: lot. Like, I had another panel last night, and I was asked, What was my breaking point? (laughs) What was my breaking point where I I flipped the switch? And I've always been a very honest, transparent person on social media. I've been on social media since the dinosaurs were around. So, um, but that's an old social. (laughs) Like, what's this Instagram? So, I think for me in the past seven to eight weeks, I felt blindsided by people who really thought that this term of racism, this world of racism, is false. It is very real. I've experienced it. I've lived it. And people have to understand that it's real, first and foremost, but that it's it's no longer okay to watch a fellow human of any shape, shade, or uh, size be ostracized. So when people see these movements going on and they think, well, I can't protest or I can't say anything, it doesn't impact me, I'm white or I'm non-black. It doesn't impact me. It 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 is impacting you. And it will if we don't do something about helping a marginalized class of people and group of people who've been oppressed for however many hundreds of years. And if we don't do what we can do. And when I talk about that, I mean, controlling the controllable, right? So some people are like, well, I can't go protest. You can work on yourself. You can have uncomfortable conversations. You can have these kinds of conversations where you learn from your peers and and those most dislike you, and you can do the work in different ways.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'm sure there's been a, a dramatic spike in sales for of how to be an anti-racist yeah. and all of these other wonderful books that are out there um, that that I've I've put in and listened to on my Audible account. Um, and and so I'd like to I'd like to encourage that, but I'd also say that. Here's something that was really interesting, and uh, it, it's, it's valuable for me to speak to. One is I'm not was had historically not been good at social media. Like I'll go three weeks without posting anything, and then I'm like I need to be good at social, and I'll post for three days in a row, and then go on another social fast for for a month or so. Um, but a friend of mine, Troy Brooks, reached out to me, and he just said, Hey Rick, man, we need you. We need your voice, we need your platform, we need your help. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's not even something I ever considered. Uh, kind of like when I traveled overseas for the first time. It's never something I considered, I didn't know I could do it, I knew that other people did it, I just didn't know that I could do it. Yeah. Until my mom goes, man, you live in New York, you should really travel overseas with some of those cheap flights sometimes. And I was like, what? You never went anywhere, I didn't know I could. Yeah. And so this opportunity that has been present, that is of interest, was never even sparked in me yeah. until a friend of mine said, hey, brother, we need your voice. Can yeah. you use your platform and help us out? Can you say something? Can you be an ally for us? Right. And that was the moment where I was like, uh, yeah, I can. I didn't know I could. I didn't know I should um, because it was, it was neither here nor there for me. Right. And I don't, I, I don't mean to be somebody that says that's somebody else's problem, not mine. I think it's a big deal. I think it's an issue. I just didn't think that I needed to say anything until somebody said something to me.
1: Right. Yeah. I think allyship is a good point you brought up. So I can talk about performative allyship and what allyship looks like. But I think a lot of white folks and non-black folks are like, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong thing. And I think even having just private conversations with your white and non-black friends and circle of influence is key. Having uncomfortable conversations, stepping in and saying something when you hear a racist remark or a an, an stereotypical remark, like stopping these situations to a point where you can now be an ally are important because one of the quotes I like to use from Maya Angelou is do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, you do better. So I'm not going to cancel people out if they don't know any better, and they're going to be able to learn. But I I think we have to be able to be open to learning. I put a quote on my social media the other day. I can't remember when now. To your point, I go on fast too. But (laughs) I feel like as a society, humans spend more time defending their opinion and taking action to switch their perspective. And that's so huge, because like I said, our, our opinions are based on biases. So Yeah, I think I'm right 99.9% of the time, but I have to be willing to take a look internally to say, okay, maybe this isn't gospel. Maybe I should learn and teach myself. As you know, I'm a very big research buff. Research your thoughts, research your information, read books to allow yourself to be open to learning, because especially for those of us that grew up in the 80s, 70s, and beyond, Maybe we learned from the perspective of an oppressor. Maybe we didn't look at the source of where we information, and then it got ingrained in our brains to be truthful. So on the other side of your point, I think amplifying melanated voice is extremely important, which is why I'm so excited to be here and speak, because according to standpoint theory, you have to learn from those that are in, I guess you can say the trenches. Listen to black stories, understand everybody's got one, they all count that there are stories that can help open your eyes to the truth of what's actually happening and what can we do to move forward versus keep repeating history that has been not advantageous for any of us.
0: That's true. Uh, I want to I give you an example that explains the difference uh, between white skin and darker skin and the privilege that I experience. And this is going to sound really strange, but I'm going to go with it. When I was in college, I had... Several police officers come up to me and a group that I was with and they had a police officer pull a gun on me. Had a had a cop pull a gun on me. Now I've never really told anybody this story before. A police officer pulled a gun on me. Here's the difference. At no point at no point did I feel that gun would ever be discharged. At no point, I felt like, oh my gosh, if this guy for whatever reason shoots me, he's gonna be in such big trouble, he's gonna be raked across the, he would never. And I actually said the words, sir, at what point do you plan on discharging this weapon? Now, I can't imagine any of my black friends saying that. (laughs) I can't imagine a calm and a poise and a thought that my friends, that that I know, and people in general of with darker skin, the first thing they think is, oh, today's the day.
2: Mm-hmm. This is
0: happening, this is going down today. I, I didn't know if it was gonna happen, I didn't know it would ever happen, but oh my gosh, it's happening to me right now, right here, it's all over. It's a difference. Yeah. And Jane Elliott is somebody who I have great respect for, She has been an amazing influencer and advocate for race relations. Uh, And as a white woman who started her advocacy after Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, assassinated and murdered, she went on a crusade. And the crusade was white people don't understand it. And as a white person, I don't understand how you can't start, even begin to try to put your, yourself, your feet in somebody else's shoes and see where they're coming from. So one of the ways that she did this is she started something called the blue eye experiment. All right. Suddenly, this means a lot more to me because I have blue eyes. So now oh, we're talking about me. Now we're talking about me and she would invite people into a room or a classroom and she would take the students that were there and it would be the blue eyes that were treated different, that were marginalized, that were spoken to a little bit differently, a little more harshly or a bit more dismissive. But anybody that had brown eyes were spoken to in a different way. Now, I think this is valuable because it allows us to remove skin color from the conversation and just move it to something just as arbitrary, just as arbitrary as skin color, and make it eye color. And all of a sudden, people can get it because they see the variations and they realize that they are this far away from that ostracization being them rather than somebody else. So for us, on, on my end and my side, uh, as a white male, to try to understand it, I think it's important. Now, you mentioned something that I thought was really valuable, and it it in part is something that 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 has led to halting conversations, which is not only do I not know what to say sometimes, mm-hmm. but what if I say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. And now, unintentionally, I'm trying to help. And I actually hurt a little bit more, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, for instance, I saw somebody post uh, about the the Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, that is going to be changed, uh, and that um, um, it's going to be, uh, oh my goodness, uh, after um, John Lewis. Yeah. And so, the with that change taking place, that it's a really wonderful thing. Somebody post about it, somebody else post, yeah, but they still hadn't made laws that have done this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to celebrate a victory, yeah. but I don't want to, I don't think it's over. I didn't, we didn't change the bridge name and now there's no racism anymore. You know, but you want to celebrate the wins, right? You want to have a conversation, but can we have a conversation that also includes everybody agreeing on what the wins are? But also, everybody's still agreeing on what needs to happen next. Right.
1: I mean, it took 600-ish, I'll say 400 to 600 um, years to get here. And this is, like I said, the first time I've seen uh, collaborative allyship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's going to take some time to undo. And I think that's where I'm kind of in the middle, where I see this cancel culture where it's like, you know, white folks, non-black folks need to do this or don't say anything and then you know going to the extreme route where i think there's a middle road that we can stay on to your point about your friend um, as white and non-black folks need to understand their privilege and all privilege means again right. don't get
0: defensive about the term please don't get defensive about it, the term privilege my it friends it means
1: advantage so my husband and i my husband is white we sat down and i was like what are your privileges because he and i have very open dialogue about race and he I'm was sure like no I'm do. <laughs> yeah I know we have a little girl who's just this beautiful little combination and I'm like, okay, so what are your advantages? He's like, I'm a cisgender, white male, very patriarchal. I said, you are at the top of what we can say, I guess, the food chain. I am an African-American, Chinese-American female, cisgender female, and I'm like here. So everybody's got some sort of privilege, even when it comes to other classifications. When we talk about biases, that can even go into like disabilities Generation. Yes, yes. So many different things. That could be another segment, but we have to take it one bite at a time because people like myself, as I was opening up and like ripping off band-aids and talking about racial slurs that have been said to me, racial situations that have been said to me with people I was in relationships with, because I don't know what I was thinking then. Wow. But um, yeah, like comments made to me. I was dating a, a, another white male. Sorry, honey. Um, and his mother was like, you know, what are you going to do when you guys have kids? like aren't they just going to be picked on left and right you know just just little microaggression comments like that that are just unnecessary but again when you know better you do better but we have to just bite off a chunk at a time and think okay we got to make progress we have to first think this is real we have yes. to second work on ourselves diversify our thoughts diversify our people and realize, wow we have so much to learn from each other but when you see the extreme with racism or classism it's when somebody fully believes that their privilege their classification reigns supreme and that yeah. that that can create a, obviously <laughs> problems in our world and and you know we're, we're crazy to think that we don't have professionals in our own industry that might have those I guess you could say bigoted thoughts and they have to go away or we are what's the point of doing what we're doing
0: yeah, that's true. With um a, a quote that I heard and I always found to be really amazing is that it says bigotry is like the pupil of an eye. The more yeah. light you shine on it, the more it contracts. Mm-hmm. And so this is an example of people doubling down when they get called out on something.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and I understand a a defensive position because I'm the kind of person somebody says something to me, my my first thing is guard up. Right. And then I think about it, and then right. I think about it, and then I try to put it in perspective, and then I try to think about where they're coming from. And sometimes I go, "My gosh, I was wrong. I yeah. was wrong." But that is really, really difficult to say in the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it is, and it's something we are all, all used to doing. Even as a parent, I mean, my kid calls me out, and I'm like, "Wait,
0: no, right? You're okay, right. touche." You just parent me, okay? Did you
1: just parent me. <laughs> I have you? Like, but she, you know, being this little innocent, multicultural, beautiful little thing she is, she checks me, too, because I have my own biases. Everybody does. But I think it's getting past them and being a collaborative team. And my family is one of those examples where we can just learn to love one another and grow from one another and be open to learning from one another instead of being so hard fast to be. I get being defensive, but I think either people who don't understand what's going on need to just be quiet and listen and learn or be brave enough to have conversations. They are not going to be comfortable. They're, they're just not. They're not going to be comfortable. I've had many uncomfortable conversations, but every single uncomfortable thing I've been through in my life has made me a better human. Every single thing. So having no regrets and being open to getting uncomfortable in a safe space. You know. So I tell people, DM me, message me if you have a question and you're so afraid to ask somebody, I'm a safe space. I don't take. It takes a lot to offend me unless it's fully racist, then I might delete it. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm all about having conversation, you know, and, and then opening up thought in that
0: way. But it's different when people are asking a question because they want to learn versus right? just voicing their opinion, which might be highly bigoted. And somebody is trying to, uh, to own a conversation, to, to control the conversation and direct the way that you should think. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's not okay, uh, and, and so what you've done is you've allowed, and you have such a gentle spirit and a, such a gentle way about you, it makes it easy to, to have a conversation with you. Um, what are some, have you had to have some conversations with people where you just go, all right, I, I, you have to stop. Your words, your language, your presence, your everything about you is on the wrong side of appropriate You have to stop.
1: Yes, I have my whole life. More so recently than later. I think, thank God, I've learned to just develop this confidence in myself. where I'm not a know-it-all. I don't know it all, but I'm very confident in my stance and who I am. And so if you were to look at my friendship circle, my very close friendship circle, I'm probably the most diverse person you'll ever meet. I have somebody from every shape, shade and size and religion, political background, because we're not supposed to always be with each other who are the same. But, you know, on, on some social media channels and in some conversations in real life, I've had people, to your point, not just want to have a conversation, but want to tell me what I posted or what I said was wrong. And and my, my usual stance is, would you like to have a conversation, to open up dialogue? Because if not, you're welcome to un- me. You're welcome to not allow me to influence you. But I would encourage you to take the perspective of looking at it from the other direction instead of being so... You know those knee-jerk reactions are what sometimes, many times, can get us in a whole heap of trouble. Right, just right. Not thinking before we just. Eh, yeah, that.
0: and the other thing too is like, look, everybody knows that nobody right now owns slaves. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like this is well, <laughs> let's let's have this conversation in in an ideal place, yeah. right? So slavery is not something that that is. Government-sanctioned that you know, like it's it's not where you are. So don't come from it that nobody is blaming you for slavery. And I remember thinking that, like, I didn't have slavery. Why me? Why why are you so mad at me? Um, Nobody thinks that. So again, we we tend to project worst-case scenarios on people who think different than us. Um, And so I'm getting hyper-defensive because I don't want you to think that, but nobody does right no. Now it doesn't mean that there are not still residual racism no. that exists within a, oh, yeah. you hear this systematic, this word systematic, but there there are stark differences mm-hmm. between the advantages that people that are white have mm-hmm. versus people that are not white. Yeah, right? and if if you don't think it, look at any of these wonderful shows on TV. Like watch watch the uh, Met Gala, mm-hmm. watch the the uh, Oscars,
1: yeah.
0: Watch the watch these award shows. They they don't represent everyone. The people with the money tend to be pre- a relatively homogenized group. And as Jay Z said, domino domino, right? <laughs> so we. We can have a whole sea of white with a few specks of black in it yeah. and then we go, oh, thank goodness we have Jay-Z yeah. here that shows that we're not racist. Yeah. Um, now with that being said, I want to move this into a fitness conversation sure. where I remember bringing up to a friend of mine on a previous podcast where um, his name's Corey Harbison had a great conversation and we we're t- talking about race and we, I mentioned, you know, f- the fitness industry is the one industry that I see. It's like, mm-hmm. from this perspective, I see a lot of people employed in the fitness industry, of yeah. uh, people of color, yeah. right? right. They're are, there are black and brown and white people that are all personal trainers, coaches, fitness professionals, but it changes somewhere along the line. Can you speak to what that is, what that change looks like? Yes. And uh, and because I'm speaking for anybody that's, that's watching, they couldn't see what you just did. So I'll let you go I, ahead and take the reins. I know. I was doing
1: my hand like this to say, do you move up banks? And this is across businesses yeah. in our country, not just fitness, but less than 5% of senior leadership is black or brown. I can say it because I'm brown. So there is a problem. You know, because I'm a numbers girl. So when I look at statistics and numbers, they speak to themselves. When, to your point, we have many personal trainers, instructors, because people like myself are saying, I can be the example, even if I don't see the example. But I want to continue to keep inspiring people to be the example because they still don't see the example. But we have an issue where, you know, Black Americans have two plus times more a chance of being obese or overweight or dying of issues associated with chronic disease Diabetes type 2, which ran, ran rampant in my family, and high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Why is that so dominant in who we need to serve? But yet, when we look at who's serving these communities, being under 5%, you know, so we have to do that hard work. And like I said, that maybe break apart, dismantle, restructure, reformation of systems to give Black and Brown folks space to be in those leadership roles, to hear those perspectives. And I've seen a lot of other corporations where somebody has to step down so somebody else can step up. It's about equity and like exhibitive allyship, not just performative, which performative means like, yay, you're a token versus let me integrate black and brown voices into the conversation to the point where they are in a leadership role speaking to the public in these different forums versus tokenism, if that makes
0: sense. It does. It does. It definitely makes sense. And it's the conversation about inclusivity, um, including people. And what we don't think about is the, the, the unknown bias of exclusionary thinking that exists. Mm-hmm. And some of that is, uh, I can't remember who did the study, and you may know this better than I do, but I've, I've heard it cited multiple times where if the name on the resume mm-hmm. seemed like it was a black name, mm-hmm. regardless of what was on the resume, mm-hmm. it was multiple times less likely to be followed up with than a name that sounded white.
1: Right. And those can be implicit biases. Those are So when I say the word implicit, I mean, you might not, not even know this is a bias of yours if you're somebody working in HR, or working in hiring, or you're a business owner, and you have an unconscious awareness of being assumptive with somebody's name and associating it with something, I guess you could say negative, and not allowing that person to have a chance. That's why I talk about integration versus tokenization, to integrate black and brown folks into those roles. And have that conversation to where those things are obliterated because they do exist. I know I live in the state of California now, and there's a proposition that we're supposed to be voting on this year where it's like a double-edged sword. Do you ask for race on occasions or not? Because we have things such as affirmative action that were put in place to give people more equity. But then again, when you have very racist or very biased thoughts, it can kind of overlap. And people, I guess you can say, will cheat the system. So the real only way to get past all of this is for people to truly do the work. People to truly take time to shift their thought and be more objective versus subjective when looking at a resume when hiring somebody. Because even if you mean well and you're like, I want more multiculturalness in my gym, that's not. That's not getting past it.
0: That's not what we're talking about. That's right. We're talking those about- are good words to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are, <laughs> you can put black and brown folks on your advertising, but that's just multicultural. That's not. Really inclusive, That's which right. is what I'm talking about in my sessions. Good.
0: Um, and with that being said, moving not just from what does it look like from the people that we hire, and then as we move up the the chain into higher corporate levels, we see it becoming lighter and lighter, whiter and whiter. Um, but we also see this in our advertising, and and even though we can put multicultural people on um, our advertisements. Um, when you look in the gym, is that what's there? And if it's not what's there, what is the reason? And and certainly some of it would be location, uh, depending Mm -hmm. on where you are. Demographics is going to be a big part of it. Um, But that's not all. And Wouldn't it just, you know, are there? What are some of the other pieces? And then, and just speak to this one, and then we'll start. to, We'll go to Greg and and see if there are any questions that that people would like to to pose here and and let you to move after it. But what are some of the other kind of maybe biases? Some of the things that are uh, intrinsically inside a system that has been set up that allow you to say, I'm going to market. And I'm going to put advertisements for multicultural uh, memberships up, right? And yet we still see primarily white people at the gyms,
1: right? So we talked about Rick, like diversifying, diversifying your team, like your team, your circle of influence. So I did this activity with people where I say, okay, write down the word, and this is just to target biases. Write down the word police officer. Sorry, came to my mind. Write down the word uh, firefighter. Write down the word. Um, Doctor, write down these different job occupations and without thinking, write down what race you think those people would be. And next, I go into generations or then I go to um, ethnicities, just to think about biases. And when people look at their circle of influence, so like I say, you know, who are the classmates your children would play with or who are your friends most like? If you look at that piece of paper and the same number comes back to say, or same um, trait comes back to say, wow, these guys are all like me, it means you need to diversify your team professionally and relationally. The second thing is, is diversify your audience to your point. Look at your demographics and make sure that you understand your demographics. We all did this when we wrote our business plan. You had to do your demographics. It's not fun, but you do it. to so look at your reach. Are you advertising to your niche? to your people, to your circle, or are there people in marginalized areas and maybe lower middle-income areas not reaching out to who are actually in your circle that you can influence? Um, And something I've been educated on doing is being accessible. Right now, we're all, I don't want to say stuck at home. I'm an introvert. I really don't mind being home, but um, Mm -hmm. we're home, you know, or some people are going back to the gym. Some people are at parks. But are you offering wellness and fitness as a luxury? in your advertising to where your price points are completely unreachable or can you be creative to think about socioeconomic options such as a sliding scale such as a donation where a member can pay for one person and pay a membership for a family perhaps who needs it can we get creative to think you know what I mean because for me I mean I knew I grew up very poor I mean I had workout VHS tapes when I started Mm -hmm. losing the weight because that's what I could afford I could afford $14.99. I couldn't afford $149 a month. That was me. And so even now when I coach with nutrition, I sometimes will, you know, I guess you could say pro bono, work with somebody, especially if they really need the guidance to help defeat a chronic health issue because that's what I was put in this position to do. And we all have wiggle room for that. I know it's difficult right now for everyone, but it's even more difficult right now for marginalized populations and particularly black and brown folks who can't get a way out and we can change them
0: for anybody. That's not quite sure that, that, um, society hasn't shifted in a way that shows that these marginalizations exists. I can, I can tell you by your zip code, if you're more likely to die from heart attack or heart disease or diabetes, or what are all of these other diseases that tend to be more prevalent in non weight. um, um, individuals or folks, and and you look at that and you go, man, if I can do that based off of zip code, mm-hmm. then you know, one, there's marginalization, and two, it might be more than just the blackness or the brownness of skin that mm-hmm. is causing the pathologies oh. that seem to increase uh, in these communities. So with that being said, um, that challenge is real and it is, it is far beyond the color of skin that is leading to some of these things. And some of it is unknown, but it does exist. And there are obviously, I think, some socioeconomic factors that, that go into this as well. Let's move over to Greg. And Greg, um, what, are, what are some of the questions that are being asked that, uh, that Katrina could try to, to address? <laughs>
2: Uh, one of them is what. What was the the biggest challenge you found when you started training? Was there biases that you ran into and uh, and issues on this front that you ran into as a trainer?
1: Oh yeah, I mean because I was in a predominantly white uh, area, um, and but I see it from both sides. Where some people see me as the exclusion because they don't quite know what I am. Um, but for me, the number one thing I tell people that I experienced was it just, to Rick's point, was so hard to get on top. It was so hard to be the top trainer. It was so hard to earn that next pay tier. So, you know, I had to see it as an opportunity for myself to wiggle my way into different networks and and expand my reach. But on the other flip side, as somebody who was seen as the, as the exception, I was the person that some clientele I had to fire <laughs> because they would say things to me thinking I was a safe person to say them to about a classification of person or that person over there or yeah, literally. Mm. Yeah. To me. And I would just look at them and go, you know, I actually am black and I don't feel comfortable with that verbiage being used. So we're going to have to pull back on that. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It's very interesting.
2: On that front. I mean, I assume you have to, uh, you have to approach it in a, in a certain way as well. Uh, when, you know, as you said, firing a client, uh, you have to approach it in a certain way, correct?
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, I know we all do this for the money, but you also have to do it for the ethics and who do I really want
0: to? Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. I'm going to speak to that just real quick. And I've, I've had a conversation about this on the podcast before, but for those of you who have missed it, it was on values. And there's a reason why, you should list out your values. And these should be not just personal values, they sh- they can be professional values. And what that means is that when you go in and you write your values out, you say, I am doing business and as a business, these are my values. Well, it's integrity, inclusivity, um, you know, uh, I w- education, right? You kind of go down the list of all of these things that are highly important to you And the reason the values are there is not just because there is a corporate um, dialogue that you're supposed to have, kind of like a business plan. I don't know what to do with it, but I know I'm supposed to have it. No, the reason you have values is because of exactly what you were talking about. Values give me the opportunity to take somebody that I love and I care for, who is a thief, who steals from me and makes me say, I love you, I care for you, but what you did goes against my values, and though I care for you, you need to go. For somebody that does not speak with integrity and they use language that is offensive and they hold positions and are outright offensive to you, as an individual, you have to compare that need for that paycheck to the values that you hold dear. And I'm gonna say for majority of people, there are always instances where values because we're in a bad place financially, we always kind of skirt a few yeah. things because we are in deep need. And I get that and I understand that. However, mm. when possible, never let your finances finances mm. dictate the the, the the ruin of your values and the way that you want to live your life. Yeah. Right. So that's what values isn't. It's not just here's the corporate stuff supposed to write down. Right. It is how you make tough decisions. Yeah. It's the the reason we do that is to make it's tough decisions. The difference between to me, when I
1: talk about that word performative allyship, right? So for me, performative allyship is just posting something on social media making comments here and there reading a book perhaps but not taking action but actual allyship is like i said saying something or standing up for what's right even though you know it's uncomfortable and not in like a necessarily violent way but how would how would i be categorizing myself as a human if i allowed those kind of comments to happen in my presence and growing up multiracial it was hard enough kind of figuring out where i fit in but no even if it was against somebody who's a different generation or somebody who's a different ethnicity or a different ability or disability or gender identity. You know, like, we have to stand up for the person who's being marginalized or oppressed or spoken against or discriminated against, even when it's uncomfortable, because we know it's the right thing to do.
0: Hear, hear. All right. Back to you, Greg. What else do you got? Thank you for that. Back to you, Greg.
2: Yeah, we've got a great question from Molly in the chat. She said, advice for starting out. I don't have a team to diversify. It's just me and my own personal training business. I'd love to have more of an inclusive platform, but absolutely recognize my privilege as a white female. Uh, I'm doing a bit of work having the hard conversations with friends, but would love to hear what you'd recommend I start changing my platform to be more clu- inclusive and accessible for everyone. Okay. That's a good question.
1: Um, so a lot, of, a lot of times, and this is how I started out on social media, I was posting just about me because um, it was my <laughs> journey. I was like, this is my journey. This is my workout. But you have to sometimes take a step back to say, okay, who am I serving? And allow your content to mirror what your intents are with that. So your intentions are with that. So whether it's recipes, meals, workouts, whatever, but inclusivity can also come from how you instruct workouts. So if this person's a trainer, um, making sure that you're not only showing progressions and regressions for all ability levels, but making sure that it's something that's able to be done in a space that's accessible for anyone. You know, so when I see workouts online with these gigantic contraptions or pieces of equipment that most people won't even have, or I mean, I did some crazy programs in my day, high intensity, but doing them that way when somebody's like, I had I don't even walk. Like how how do I get started? So being open to the beginner, open to somebody who's
2: not familiar.
0: I like that. Thank you, Molly. What else you got, Greg?
2: That is that is it in the chat uh, for questions right now. But uh, everybody has been very appreciative of the conversation between both of you. Uh, thank you for the honest and, and open uh, look at this uh, on a tough topic.
1: Yeah. we could do this all day, but you know this is the beginning, and I hope of many conversations where, you know, everybody knows this is a safe space, but we have a huge impact in this industry and I'm an example of that. And I want people to know that you can literally change somebody's life by being inclusive and taking the time to do the hard stuff. Not easy.
0: But it's not not easy. Here's a couple of things, just uh, some, some active takeaways I wanna propose. One is if you don't know what to do, what to say, how to have a conversation, ask right like if you have a friend like just ask if you're not sure just ask katrina <laughs> like she's, she's there for you she'll answer some questions I have recommendations um I, I just think that you need to ask but one of the things also that we see popping up is that nobody's gonna hold your hand like the number of of black people that get asked this is so few to them white people who are asking the questions. And yes, God bless you, it's good to ask those questions. But don't expect somebody to hold your hand and take you through everything and say, these are the things that you can't say, and these are the things you can, and these... You have to do some research on your own. And this is a, this was tough for, for me because I wanted somebody to tell me. There were so many things that I didn't know that I just I grew up in such a non-racial environment. and I don't mean that races didn't exist, but I I just didn't know that things certain things were bad things to say and I I don't I don't know. And you know how I found out? Fortunately, because somebody else brought it up. So that way I didn't look like I was yeah. racist and it and but the first thing I did was learn from it. But I also look back and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that that was inappropriate. I had never heard the word, for instance, super predator. I didn't I didn't know, I just thought that was a word for a very spooky predator, right? So what are the origins of that word and why is it important not to use the, that word? Um, so when you don't know ask mm-hmm. and there are people that you can ask, but don't expect a you can't hold you can't have your hand held. You have to be like any adult looking to learn something, in order to solve a problem, you have to seek out means in which to do it. One and only one of those means is asking somebody that you feel safe talking to. But yeah. that's only one. Yeah. There's so there opportunities for you to take advantage of. I'm gonna encourage you um, to to go to different websites, um, Color of Change is a website that uh, I really enjoy and that that I make donations to, and we, are, uh, one of my businesses, are making donations to on a regular basis. Uh, NAACP, the Southern Pro- Poverty Project, the there's so many other, mm-hmm. and which I'm sure Katrina, you can speak to as well. Um, seek it out, seek out places yeah. where you can go to and learn.
1: Yeah, and I and I don't. So I have to explain this, you know, black and brown folks are tired. And when I say the word tired, I mean the experiences we've lived that are coming out and being ruffled up and we're speaking about them. And, and I'm there. I'm saying message me. I don't mind it. I'm that that person. But don't use the, the people in your life who are tired and maybe dealing with past traumas that they haven't talked about in a long time to be your Google so I like to right. say, don't make black and brown folks your Google. You have Google. Can you look for recommendations on our pages? Yeah, I actually have a, a tab of resources in my story highlights. Or you can go on Netflix and Amazon Prime. There's tons of documentaries that they even have categorized for you to learn from. And you're gonna, if you're going to read a book, make sure you read it from not the perspective of an oppressor. Stamped from the beginning and How to Be an Anti-Racist are two amazing books from Ibram Kendi who has a school on anti-racism. It's now a whole topic and subject in college and collegiate world. So just learn, but do some self-reflective time and have the conversations with white and non-Brown folks. That's those are people I can't reach. There are people that won't even hear me talk. So if you are around those people, it's up to you to strike the conversation so this domino effect is a positive one and not one that stops. At a certain level.
0: Um, thank you for that. I'm also going to recommend A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. It was a book that was recommended to me by a dear friend, and uh, I hated it. And it, I hated it because of how awful the look at the history of the United States was. Um, and it, it, much to what this history was and has been and how it sets up some of the stage for the way things currently are. Uh, it's not uh, it's not a new book. It's been around, I think, 1980 is when it was first written. The Zim Project uh, by Howard Zinn, who wrote it. Uh, the Zim Project is still very strong because the book and the history doesn't change just because 30 years have gone by. Right. So uh, I do recommend that as well. I also thank you if you were uncomfortable listening to this podcast, if you've made it this far in. Thank you. Good job. Thank you so much for just allowing yourself to listen and to hear, to disagree, but to be here for the disagreement, to listen to it all the way through. Um, and I want to thank you, Katrina, for um, your gentle approach, your understanding of lack of understanding and and giving people the space to feel comfortable to not immediately throw their hands up and get defensive but to listen to you your approach your words and how you present it that's very disarming and then maybe when the hands come down the ears can open up people can listen and then start the process of change
1: right now i appreciate it thank you for having me here and you know just know this is a, a collaborative effort It's going to take all of us to teach our kids, to teach ourselves and our peers to be change agents. You know, in the world of wellness, it's not just fitness and workouts. It's what we do to change and coach people's minds and hearts It's impactful. So thank you for
0: having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I want to say thank you to NASM for giving us the platform to have this conversation. Thank you to our producer, Greg, for being very supportive of getting this conversation going. Also to Nate Hyland, who uh, initially suggested that uh, that we have this conversation. And I was like, oh, of course, that's a great idea. So uh, thanks to all of those. Shout out to everyone. This is the NASM CPT podcast.